for. Last week, we uh, verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5, we, we began that ascent to the mountain, to the mountain of God, which will reach the pinnacle in chapter 8. And this morning, <clears throat> the passage that we have before us is one of the greatest theological sections of the entire Bible. Uh, in these 10 verses, Paul summarizes the theology of the preceding chapters. He, he's kind of giving us a summary of what he's already talked about, um, about the lostness of man and the redemption that we have that God has provided for us. And uh, the flow of the passage would follow a general plan where Paul is talking about here in uh, verses 12 through 21 about the ruin of man, the redemption of man, and the reign of man. And, and everything that God... So this is a very positive progression here. And it, it's, it's like Paul is coming together and saying, he keeps reminding us, and I, I think we need this. He keeps reminding us of where we were, of what we were, of who we were. And, he, and, and in doing so, he reminds us of what God has done. But he goes beyond that and says not only what God has done, but what God is going to do in relation to you and I as believers. So this passage begins in the depths of man's ruin, and it ascends through his redemption to the pinnacle of his reign. Look at verse 12 of chapter 5. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. The ruin that Paul describes here is the fall of Adam. And the result of Adam's fall is that sin and death has spread to all men. For he says there at the end of verse 12, because all have sinned, because all sinned. And so uh, this is the foundational statement of our human condition of ruin and the basic truth of Christian theology. One of the most basic things of Christianity is this. You cannot be saved until you first know you need to be saved. And so, therefore, we are called upon that when we preach the Bible, when we teach the Bible, when we go out and we proclaim the gospel to the world, one of the things they must know, you are a sinner. I had to know that before I could be saved because until I know that I, where I am and who I am and what I am, and the condition that I'm under and the wrath of God that, that comes over me because of that, then I cry out to God and say, Oh Lord, Peter's simple three-letter prayer, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. So 
This is the foundational. You know, in the Hebrew, the word Adam means mankind. And so the, thus all mankind was present and actually sinned in Adam. There he says there in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, for all sinned. Adam is the federal head of all mankind. And realizing that Paul is arguing that sin and its deadly effect uh, has remained constant throughout history. From the very beginning, uh, we, we, we find that, that men and women have died throughout history. But when we look at how Paul writes this, when he says there, and we realize that he's arguing that sin and its deadly uh, effects have remained in effect and constant throughout history, it seems somewhat confusing what Paul says there in verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Now, I, I got to admit to you, I struggled with that verse right there. And, and I, I could not make sense of it. And, and I began to, I was reminded of, of an incident from my own life that helped me explain this. My stepdad was in the military, so I've been all over the place. And back in the early 70s, when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, we lived in Schofield Barracks, Hawaii for three years. On the base where we lived, <clears throat> Right next door to us was this large, huge um, opening that was an armory. Okay, on the other side of that armory was the baseball field where I played baseball. So, I'd get on my trusty little bicycle, and I would truck right on across that. Even though my stepdad had told me time after time, do not go through that area. That is a restricted area. But it was wide open, and we all rode our bikes all across there. We did this every day for, for months and months. One day, as I was realizing I was going to be late for baseball practice, going out the door, my stepdad said, do not. I remember him saying it. I just didn't hear it. But you know what? When I got across the street, there was a chain across there with a sign that said, no trespassing. Well, I just lifted that chain up and went on about my business. And I am flying across there. But what I didn't see was there was a steel cable stretched across there. Tight. And I still have the scars on my arm to prove it. Because I hit that thing and next thing I knew I was laying flat on my back. And there was an MP standing over me right by my head just like this right here. He said, are you hurt? I said, yeah. He said, good. <laughs> but you see, whereas before I was, I was transgressing, I was doing what I wasn't supposed to do, but it wasn't fully seen and in a sense not counted. But when they put that sign up, that made all the difference in the world. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, before the law, sin was still a transgression. The law just said Here's the proof of it. Here's what, here's what makes it more so. Uh, th this is what the law does. It shows us. So when Paul says, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, 
but sin is not counted where there is no law. So as I would go across that, that back and forth, you know, if, if that MP had stopped me, he could have said, look, you're not supposed to be doing this. But when he put that sign up, now he could say, you're in trouble because you, you directly violated what the law said. And so that's what Paul is saying here. So Paul's all overall point is that all the human race remained under death and sin, whether under the law or not, because death reigned. And you know how we know death reigned? If you go to Genesis chapter 15, <clears throat> it's a list of names. And you know what it says at the end of each one? And he died. And he died, and he died, and he died. It says it over and over and over. So the entire human race, because of our solidarity with Adam, stands under the ruin of sin and death. So Paul wants to remind us of this, that our solidarity with Adam is, it not only condemns us through that one man, but it makes our salvation possible through one man. And this brings us to the matter of our redemption. There in verse 15. <clears throat> but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if by one man's trespass death reigned from that, through that one man much more. This is the second time or third time Paul has used those two words. Much more. Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Our redemption comes through a second and a far greater Adam the last Adam and so the only similarity between the first Adam and the second Adam was that what they did affected countless numbers of people in the human race and the work of the second Adam Paul says there in verse 15 is far greater than that of the first but the free gift is not like the trespass for if many died through the one man's trespass much more, much more, he says, have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So the work of the second Adam is far greater than that of the first Adam. The sin of Adam brought death, but grace brought, brought a far more dynamic power. It brought life. Listen. Do you realize if, if you go out into the world and we proclaim the message of the gospel and, and we were to ask, what do you need more than anything else? And we would get a wide range of answers. 
probably like, well, I need more money. I need better health. I need a place to live. I need a job. But what they don't realize is that is not what they need. Do you know what we need more than anything else? Jesus said it in John chapter 10. He said, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Life is what we need. We live in a world of the walking dead. And so the grace, Paul, Paul says, you know, Adam's sin brought death, but grace brought a far more dynamic power, that of life. The sin of Adam brought, brought death once, and the sacrifice and death of Christ brings life a thousand times, a thousand times over. So verse 16 tells us that Jesus and his work is far more powerful. And the free gift, he says, is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought what? Condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Brought us justification. So clearly, uh, Jesus' death brought forgiveness for thousands of transgressions. And so clearly, the work of Christ is far superior to that of the first Adam. Verse 17 says that Christ gives, uh, gives to man a far more than what he lost in Adam. When God created Adam, he gave him dominion over the entire planet, over the animals, over the plants. And Adam had life. He was truly alive. I have a sermon that one of the very first sermons I ever preached when I surrendered to preach is one called The Only Two Men Who Ever Lived. And you realize there are only two people who have ever actually been alive on this planet. And that was the first Adam and the last Adam. They're the only two. The difference is the first Adam, he forfeited his he gave up his life for sin, and he died. The second Adam gave up his life for sin so that we could live. And so Paul here is saying that what Jesus gives us is far greater than what we've lost in Adam. And, and verse 18 and 19, Paul summarizes the greatness of our redemption. So on the, on the one hand, we see the greatness of our ruin in Adam. But if we are in Christ, our union with him far exceeds that ruin. You know, on some, on our study on Wednesday night on holiness, this is one of the things that we've been talking about more and more and more, is our union with Christ. That if you and I ever truly understand what it means to be in Christ, it will change everything that, that we have a union with him and this is what Paul is talking about here that, that our union with him far exceeds whatever Adam has done because Jesus said I am come that you might have life and that you might have it what abundantly to the very fullest extent and this ultimately means that we reign in life. Look at verse 20. <clears throat> now the law came into now the law came into to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That is my favorite verse in the Bible. 
For where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through transgression, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law was never able to make us do what's right. When we get to chapter 7, we're going to see that Paul's going to expound upon that. But you see what he's saying here is that the law came in to increase the trespass. Later on, Paul is going to say, you know what? He said, I would not have known what covetous was, except the law had said, you shall not covet. The law exposes who we are. The law uh, exposes what we do. Just as that little sign hanging there exposed what I was doing. You know what I did with that little sign? I ignored it. I completely ignored that sign. And I paid a price for it. You realize that riding my bicycle across there as fast as I was going, if that cable had been probably that much higher, I probably wouldn't be here preaching to you. I could have paid with my life for ignoring what the law said. But Paul says that even though the law came to expose our sin... So that death, uh, sin reigned in death, he says, but grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where the law, where there is law, we sin more both in terms of quantity and in depth. And but in doing this, the law also moves us closer to grace because... It exposes us and we see our need. This is why, you know, uh, one, one of the most important lessons I ever learned in, in proclaiming the gospel to people that are lost. And I learned it from Ray Comfort. You must show people why and how they're wrong. They must see their sin. If you've never watched Ray Comfort, I mean, he will sit there. One of my favorite things that I ever saw him do. He's talking to this guy and he says, well, have you ever, have you ever stolen anything? The guy says, well, I'm a good guy. You know, I think I'll go to heaven. He says, well, have you ever stolen anything? And he says, well, yeah. And he said, well, you know what that makes you, right? And he said, yeah, it makes me a thief. And he says, well, have you ever told a lie? And he says, well, yeah. And he said, well, you know what that makes you? And he says, yeah, a liar. And he said, no, a lying thief. I love that way he put that. But you see, we have now, now we say, well, you know, we're to take and we're to proclaim the love of Jesus, that he just loves everybody and he loves you no matter what you do. And I want to tell you, that's a lie out of the pit of hell because it's not true. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying we must see our sin. And, and the law moves us closer to grace because the farther we descend, the nearer we are to brokenness. And you must become to place of brokenness to understand we need Christ. We need someone to help us, someone to save us. And this is why Paul says there, but when sin increased... Grace abounded all the more. You realize what wonderful news that is? Do you know what that says? It says, as great as my sin is, God has more grace than I do sin. That we can never out-sin the grace of God. 
it's it's a, it's a wonderful thing because I want to tell you folks I don't know about you you know what yes I do know about you we are terrible sinners and we sin a lot every day and were it not can you imagine a God that says <clears throat> just imagine this and and then there are some who believe this but I want you to picture this in your mind because I don't think they've ever really pictured this I come to Christ, I see my sin, and I come to Christ, and I ask His forgiveness, and I receive His grace, and I receive His uh, mercy, and He says, you're saved. But if you sin one more time, I'm going to take it away from you. Does that make sense? Do you know what that takes? Do you know what that makes grace? Not grace. You know what that makes mercy? Not mercy. And so uh, grace is always more abundant than our sin. And no matter how great your sin in quality or in depth, God's grace, as, as Vernon McGee used to put it, it's super abounded, super abounded to us. No one is beyond the grace of Christ. Now, I say that because I have heard people say, no sense in going and talking to that person. They're too far gone. You know, I, I remember when I was a young man, and I had an aunt, and she told my mama, she said, there's no, there's no point in you praying for Bobby. He's just like his daddy. He's an alcoholic. He's a womanizer. He's, he's, he's done. There's no point in praying for him. You know what? My grandma said, I don't believe that. And my grandma continued to pray. And one day... Now, I'll admit, you know, my grandma was Pentecostal, and when I became a Baptist, I know she was scratching her head saying, okay, so I missed something here. But that's okay. But what I'm, the point that I'm making is what Paul makes. There's none beyond the grace of God. Don't ever look at someone and say, God can't save them. Because he can. And this is what Paul, he says, so that sin reigned in death, grace also might reign. Grace is reigning. How? In righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But what is the purpose of this grace? That's the purpose there in verse 21. So that uh, grace also might reign through righteousness. Knowing that God loves us, allowing his affection to permeate every corner of our lives, we will reign in this life to his glory. Young man walked up to a preacher. The preacher said, well, how you doing, son? He's a church member. He says, well, I'm doing all right under the circumstances. And the preacher said, well, what are you doing under there? And he said, what do you mean? He said, what are you doing under the circumstances? You were made to be over the circumstances. You were saved to be over your circumstances. You were saved to reign. When God created Adam, he gave Adam dominion. And this is what Jesus came to restore for us. And this is where Paul is leading us. And, and you know, when we get into chapter 6... Paul's really going to hit home. With he's, here's basically what Paul is going to say in chapter 6. Okay, I'm going to sum it up for you in one little sentence. And that's going to take longer than that to preach through it, but one sentence. Why do you keep sinning? It's not your master anymore. That's basically what Paul says. Why do you keep doing this when you don't have to? 
Because now that we are saved, we have the power of the Spirit living within us. And Paul, uh, you know, look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Now, keep in mind, Paul has just said, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. So they say, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace will abound? And Paul says, by no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? This is another one of those instances where they should, have they should not have put a chapter break right here. It should have been a continuous flow. From chapter 20, uh, verse 2 should be chapter 25, verse 22 or 23. Paul says, by no means. So knowing that we have been, he says, look, we see the ruin of us. We see the redemption of us. And we were redeemed to reign with Christ. We are joint heirs, Paul says in Ephesians, with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Now, now you see what Paul's doing here. He's lifting us up. And he's saying, here's where you were. Here's what he did. Here's, how, here's where you are now. Now live like that. Live like you are reigning with Christ. Live like you are dead to sin. I was reading this morning where this guy was <clears throat> talking with a Christian and the Christian said, don't you want the weight of your sin lifted off of you? And the guy said, I don't feel no weight of sin on me. He said, so therefore I must not really be that bad a sinner because there's no weight on me. And the Christian told him, he said, now just imagine you take a huge amount of weight and put it on the chest of a dead man. How much will he feel? None of it. He won't feel any of it. You don't feel the weight of your sin until you're alive. Which, by the way, this is, this is extra free right here. This wasn't intended to be part of the sermon. Which, by the way, is why you must be born again before you can be saved. They're not the same thing. You must be given life to feel the weight of your sin. Life to respond in faith so that you can be saved. And so this is where Paul, he basically is what he comes down to this right here. Paul says you, have, you were ruined in sin, you were redeemed by Christ, and now you reign with Christ. Now live like that. Live like it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, O oh God, that though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ came and he has given us life. Lord, we recognize our ruin in sin. Father, we thank you for the redemption that we have in Christ, that we might reign with him as a royal priesthood. Father, thank you for what you've done. And Father, this morning as we come to your table, I pray that each one of us would examine himself. Father, that we would realize we cannot come to this table lightly. We cannot come to this table frivolously, but with all seriousness. For it pictures what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in the shedding of his blood, in the crucifixion of his body. 
Father, may we search our hearts. Lord, we ask you this morning to search us and see if there be any wicked way in us. May our hearts be clean as we come.